Morning Shot. Good morning. Welcome to Morning Shot. It's Ryan and Imad with you. And this week, we'll be covering a slew of energy-related topics on Morning Shot in line with Singapore International Energy Week, which kicks off today. That's right. Energy ministers, industry leaders, startups and institutional investors are gathered in town for a week of impactful discussions in the energy space, innovation showcases and knowledge exchange. Today, we'll talk about accelerating progress on the ASEAN power grid. Earlier in June this year, the Laos, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore Power Integration Project celebrated its first year anniversary. The project has successfully facilitated the import of up to 100 megawatts of hydropower from Laos to Singapore through Thailand and Malaysia. So what can lessons learned from this project tell us about the next steps ASEAN can undertake to further energy security in the region? Well, for more, we're joined right now by Dr. Mirza Sadakat Huda, lead researcher for IC's Yusuf Ishak Institute's Climate Change in Southeast Asia program. Dr. Mirza, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, uh, Ryan and Imad. Uh, Great to be here. Great to have you on the show. Dr. Mirza, let's first touch on the Lao, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore Power Integration Project. What do experiences from this project tell us about some of the challenges that ASEAN is expected to face uh, further down the road? So yes, the LTMS is called the Pathfinder Project. So it's the region's very first multilateral power project. But it's based on existing interconnections. So no new cross-border grids needed to be constructed for this particular project. And as you mentioned, um, it involves the transfer of 100 megawatts of electricity from Laos to Singapore. So it essentially provides blueprint for going forward with multilateral cooperation. There are many best practices, such as the governance mechanism that have been developed for the LTMS, the working group, the different task forces have done a great job in bringing different parties, different stakeholders together to cooperate. But there are some challenges that can also inform the process of the ASEAN power grid. So, for example, there's a need to upgrade infrastructure of the LTMS. Current infrastructure only allows about up to 300 megawatts of trade. There has been some progress in upgrading infrastructure between Malaysia and Singapore, but there's a need to upgrade the infrastructure between Malaysia and Thailand, and there's some dialogue that's going on between these two countries to upgrade the infrastructure. So on a broader level, uh, Southeast Asia is looking to invest around $200 billion by 2030 to upgrade both regional and domestic infrastructure to facilitate the energy transition. So we're looking at a lot of uh, investment that needs to go into infrastructure. And there's also a need for institution building. So going forward, while the working group and the task forces have done a great job, there is a a need for a regional organization, perhaps, that can share real-time data, implement long-term energy plans, and um, also have a dispute resolution mechanism. So there's a lot more that needs to be done. Uh, in terms of uh, implementing the ASEAN power grid. But the LTMS has definitely you know, been a great experience and a real opportunity to realize the benefits of cross-border cooperation. Yeah, Dr. Mirza, lots of potential, but also lots to do. And talking about progress, we also have the Australia-Asia Power Link, which will be the first intercontinental power grid sending power from a 20-gigawatt solar farm with the world's biggest battery in Northern Australia across a 4,200k undersea cable to Singapore. But that has been fraught with challenges as well. So describe to us how ambitious that project is and can we perhaps adapt any lessons learned from that power integration project? Yes, so the Asia Power Link is, is a very ambitious project, as you mentioned, and it's 
also extremely complicated. We heard some news about the project being revived after it was initially shelved, but the actual details about project implementation is not yet available. But what's interesting is beyond the Asia Power Link, the impact of the LTMS has been it's really breathed new life into multiple other projects. So, for example, now we're considering subsea cables between Cambodia and Singapore, Vietnam and Singapore. And um, the main lesson that can be learned from the LTMS is the value of political endorsement and the impact of high levels of coordination that can have on enhancing projects and essentially making it much faster to implement projects. Um, So, for example, in in the case of the LTMS, uh, Singapore has a different market. Uh, It has an open market compared to the other countries. So Laos, Thailand and Malaysia have a single buyer or other forms of single buyer uh, markets. But what made their project possible is the high level of coordination and the political endorsement that we have seen Mm. by state leaders, by ASEAN. So these sort of uh, initiatives definitely play a big role in pushing through projects, political endorsement as well as coordination mechanisms. You've spoken already about some of the opportunities that the stakeholders of the power integration project can embark on when it comes to enhancing the viability of Asia's energy transition. Now, in the context of fostering a contemplative dialogue, what role do you think cutting-edge technologies play in facilitating cross-border grid interconnections, uh, enabling efficient energy exchange and collaboration between the various regions? So um, in terms of technology, there is a strong move towards developing smart grids in the region. So Thailand, Vietnam, and I think uh, Malaysia as well, uh, in the process of developing frameworks and policies on smart grids. And the value of smart grids is that it uh, collects and monitors information about the health of the grid, and then it feeds back into the system so that it's easier to know about upcoming congestions, how to elevate outages. So it gives a lot of information that helps us plan in real time. And then what actually drives smart grids is uh, the Internet of Things, so um, things like sensors in solar panels or wind farms that can like connect data and then feed it back into systems and networks. So this sort of technology can really make grids stable and reliable at the domestic level, which of course has an impact on regional cooperation itself. And in addition, the region really needs to ramp up on battery storage. As we know, one of the drawbacks of renewable energy is the intermittent nature. So uh, Singapore currently operates the region's largest battery uh, energy storage system uh, on Jurong Island. So we need to do a lot more to invest in battery storage system and pumped hydro. So essentially, these technologies are moving forward, but we really need to invest in research and development. Yeah, some of the problems with renewable energy include how you can't use them or sometimes you have excess that you can't use. So there definitely is a lot of room for innovation to help push this needle. So looking beyond some of the conventional approaches, what perhaps are some of the other innovations we need to help renewable energy projects succeed? And of course, we've got CU underway this week. Are you looking forward to anything? Uh, yes, certainly. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, learning about um know, the future of the grid, um, different energy projects that are being developed in ASEAN countries and um, how the regulatory process can really push through, you know, energy transition and energy cooperation in the region. But in terms of uh, innovative solutions, the, the issue with energy is that it often kind of creates opportunity costs for other forms of security. So, for example, food security. So we we really need to consider some uh, dual-use technologies, such as dual-use solar, such as agrivoltaics, 
which is essentially the simultaneous use of land for solar panels as well as agriculture. So this would help us you know, meet both food security and energy security needs. There has been a great momentum towards the use of floating solar panels in reservoirs, uh, both hydropower reservoirs and freshwater reservoirs. It's been a huge success. So we can push through with floating solar panels as well. And uh, one thing we need to keep in mind is that renewable energy projects also have impacts on communities and the environment. So if we have very strong social and environmental safeguards, we can ensure that the externalities of renewable energy projects don't impact communities. So, for example, solar panels, you can take up land, which is can be used by traditional communities for farming or herding or other purposes. And um, hydropower can impact food security through its impact on fisheries and uh, farming lands as well. So that's another thing we need to keep in mind to ensure that um, as we move forward with energy transition, that we also meet the uh, environmental and social safeguards. All right, Dr. Mizza, thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Great. Thank you very much. You're welcome. We've been in conversation with Dr. Mirza Sadakat Huda, the lead researcher for IC's Yusuf Ishak Institute's Climate Change in Southeast Asia program. We've been talking about accelerating progress on the ASEAN power grid. It is, of course, the start of Singapore International Energy Week. We've been discussing as well the Lao, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore power integration project, some of the lessons and challenges that ASEAN is set to face down the road as a result of its early successes. Stay with Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.